Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and I just thought you should know that I cleaned out my fridge since last week's episode. This chat is with Steve Angel, who is co-founder and director at Toronto-based Headgear Animation, where he's been for the last 24 years. Since its inception, Headgear has worked with world-class clients like Nestle, Kellogg's, and Sesame Workshop, and has garnered a long list of awards for their work in stop motion, 2D, live action, and even puppetry. In our chat, Steve is going to share how he quickly went from animator to director to starting his own studio and all the ups and downs that's brought over the last two decades. So let's jump in. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. How's it going? Hey, Terry. Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to chat because I have been following Headgear for like 15 years or something ever since I was in high school Um, because, uh, you know, you were one of the original stop motion studios near me when I was growing up in Waterloo and I came and checked you guys out. So I've always just kind of uh, kept you on top of mind. So I'm really happy we're talking finally. That's cool. Well, very flattered uh, to hear that you've been creeping us in the background for 15 yeah, years. That's super great. creepy. Well, I actually came and did a tour like, I don't know, 10, more than 10 years ago. But uh, I don't know if I met you on that tour. I think I met... Um, your business partner, maybe, or just somebody else that was in the studio. Yeah. I can't remember. What was it? Was the tour like a school tour? Or? No, it was just me emailing the studio being like, hey, I make little claymations in my spare time. Nice. <laughs> I would like to come by and see what you guys do. You were nice. shooting a video we... commercial with aliens. Okay. Uh, okay. You recall that at all? Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, I, totally. Yeah, and I got to see all the milk spots being made out of like construction paper. Yeah, like, yeah, in, yeah. In your little craft area in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and cool. I remember oh, your that floors was... were super squeaky upstairs. Are they still like that? Maybe. Uh, yeah, they're probably pretty squeaky. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I gotta gotta hold on to the squeak. I don't know. It was uh, you know, the way before I even decided to do animation as a career, it was like a really cool. It's always just stuck out of my mind. So that's nice. I'm so glad you came, and good for you for just thinking of coming and stuff. Yeah, well, here we are like 10 years later, finally chatting. So it's wow. uh, now I'm actually a stop motion animator. So, hey, what up? You made it. I can come work for you after this, or you can come work for me after this. Oh, I think we're going to figure something <laughs> out. After that. All right. Um, so, well, let's just dive into it. You know, sure. Headgear has been around for almost 25 years. Uh and you've been through it all. What's made you stick through it thick and thin and made it successful? And, you know, like from the beginnings of trying to start a company, yeah. stop motion and ads and 2D specifically. Tell me, tell me how you got through it all. And oh, where's your mind at now? <laughs> um, so many questions in one. Um, I should just ask how, one at a time. How did, how did we get through so the question is, how did we get through it all? How did we stick it out for this long? What's kept you going, running a studio for 20? How many years has it been? Uh, it's going to be 24 years. For 24 years. In that's, like a week. That's like almost a, as yeah. long. Like I'm only like I'm 32. Yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> I can't imagine doing the same thing. I can't even. Well, when when we got started, when we got started, the thinking was, if we don't last three years, that's not good. So if we if we make it to year three, it's worth doing. If we make it to five years, it's like high fives all around. And the 
just being able to imagine beyond five years is totally impossible. So if you were to go back in time and uh, the and I would to have been told that we'd be around for 24 years, I would just really, I'm sure, not believed you. But so I'd, have be I'd have a lot of questions about the time machine. <laughs> yeah. So in the beginning, it was more of a challenge to just make it through these like goalposts. I think what happened because because my partner, uh, Julian Gray, he and I had been working together for a while at Cup of Coffee. We were working together before that at a small startup magazine called Shift Magazine. Um, so we were very comfortable with each other and we had three years in the animation business at Cup of Coffee. And we basically figured that we were able to do it. So um, those early years, we were sort of cutting our teeth. We sort of, you know, as we got our kind of feet under us, we realized there's something that we were capable of doing. And it was also something that we really, really enjoyed. So we thought, why not? Um, and um, I don't think we had really grand designs. I don't think we ever thought of being a big, huge studio. Um, we never became a big, huge studio, but we just wanted, we just really loved the work. We knew we were capable of doing it. And um, there was a market for it. So there was demand. So you were, you were, I don't want to say just, but you were just animators for three years or you were like, and working on this magazine. And then you thought, let's run our own business. Together. Well, it was, um, we were animators, but we were also directors. So okay, okay. Um, we were, we were running like national campaigns and we were dealing with, you know, agencies and we were pitching things and we were dealing with crews. So we weren't, itinerant animators taking direction from a director, though there were, there at the very beginning, we were actually doing that, but we quickly graduated to the sort of the, the kind of position of director. So there was more kind of managerial and uh, authorial kind of um, gotcha. position there. How do you go from animator to director so quickly? Um, I think it was kind of mostly circumstance and mixed with ambition. And um, so what happened was um, Cup of Coffee was attracting a lot of work. And um, so opportunity presented itself. And the person who was the kind of principal director there, his name was Bruce Alcock, um, he ended up leaving. So there was kind of a, a void. Um, and uh, Julian and I filled that void and um, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. But it was at the time it was a tiny company. There were like five of us, yeah. and um, so we we kind of um, you know uh, made it work for about three years, and then in the end we decided it was time to move on and start our own thing. And um, we thought, well, that's it for cup of coffee because the two creative geniuses are leaving. But within six months, it like it ballooned to like 200 people <laughs> and was doing huge series for Disney and stuff. Oh no, so, you're yeah. like that. You're like the Beatles drummer who the original who like laughed. <laughs> totally. We were the Pete bests of animation. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have any regrets when that happened? Like feel like FOMO, like major FOMO? No, you know, it was really fun. It's really funny because the first job that they did that was really big where they did all of that hiring uh, we were actually approached to do it. Um, 
And um, I was too, we were too nervous about it. It was too big of a deal. And it would have required big investment, would have required tons and tons of people. We didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have our feet under us. And I just wasn't, I, I wasn't willing to take that risk. Like, again, we weren't really coming to this thing as businessmen. We were coming to this thing as animator, director, art school people. And it all, it all just felt too much, too fast and too big. And so we turned it down and they did it. And they, you know, that was their, uh, you know, trampoline into kind of stardom kind of thing. And good for them. It was a, a really, really, really hard job to do. And I think yeah. it was, it had lots of constraints but it really catapulted them into this uh, position of doing big, big budget um, series for like, you know, real broadcasters and stuff. So they so, took the risk and they were successful. So good for them. Nice. So while they were doing that and you and your business partner like trailed off to start your own company, how are you like, how are you getting clients? How are you making, you know, the business run in it, essentially because say <clears throat> say i'm in a position right now where i find a business partner that i'm comfortable with and we have like a dream to start a studio together like how, give, give me the first step like <laughs> yeah. yeah so i think it, it was it was kind of a different time back then because the barriers of entry were much higher so there are way fewer people to compete with because it was harder to get going so now there are more schools that spit out more animators. There's more software that's easier to access. There's more, just all the technology is more accessible. It's cheaper, it's easier to use. And back then it was like, you know, people were shooting stuff in the early days. We were shooting stuff on 16 millimeter cameras. And, and we, had to, we had to spend, we had a huge upfront cost to get going and and so when you're in the business, you, people know about you more. So there was a little bit of a buzz uh, when we left. And what happened was people came to us. So we were getting work kind of organically because we had already developed a profile having been um, at a, a cup of coffee. And so work was just kind of coming to us. So. Um, but like, how do you, and now it's, how do you, where do you get all the capital from? Like, you know, you work is coming to you, but you need a studio space. You need all this 65 yeah. millimeter cameras, which are expensive. Yeah. You need like a team of editors and things like that. Where does, was this? So like what we did was we found, uh, uh, partners. There were three different parties who were interested in backing us. And we chose one of them. And the, the reason we chose that one was because they were, they demanded the smallest um, kind of share of the company. And in exchange, they were going to finance us and also support us in, in what we're doing. And hopefully, and, and the expectation there was help um, drive business to us as well. So in the end, the reality was, like what we kind of hope to do was like sell shares. The reality is we gave them shares in, ex in exchange for them getting us financing that we did not have to guarantee. Right. So what they helped us get like uh, a bunch of credit um, that we were not on the hook for. 
So again, we kind of went into this thing a little bit risk averse. Um, and um, we sort of like um, leveraged our profile and our reel to get access to capital for free. Um, so we were able to build a facility and we, uh, we moved into a building that they owned. Um, and we realized very quickly that part of the deal um, in joining this, this other kind of party was that um, they were really not facilitating any work. And so what we were hoping for was an ongoing contribution from them and by means of you know, giving us some sort of consistent revenue that wasn't forthcoming. So what we did is we uh, bought them out. Okay. So um, within, I guess about two years, uh, we'd taken partners, we'd taken loans, and we negotiated a buyout. And over the following three years or so, we bought them out, paid off the loans, and we owned ourselves wholesale and we were up and running as a small independent animation company. Amazing. Um, that is, I mean, that's fantastic, especially the control that you were able to get. I'm wondering, like, if I'm starting a studio or a business now, where do I find three potential investors who want to mm. want to invest in me? Like, I have no, like, say there's, you know, Terry Ibel leaves studio. Uh, I don't know what buzz that's creating. Yeah. <laughs> Like, so I, I think you? the beauty, I think the beauty of now is that there aren't those capital costs, right? right? We had capital costs. Like we had to buy two, it's called DDR's digital disc recorders. And I think they were like 20 grand each. And I remember like the cameras were like, I don't know, like 10,000 bucks. Like there were really significant costs, which we just don't have now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can buy like, uh, you know, um, like a half decent Canon E whatever. And that's going to be good enough. It's like, I don't know, 2,500 bucks or something like that. And you can just, you know, download dragon and use your laptop and pay like, you know, Adobe, like uh, for a subscription for after effects and Photoshop and you're, you're up and running. You yeah, know? true. I mean, I, um, I, I've been producing short films, since last May out of my bedroom because there you I, go. and I, I fitted it all with like the lights and everything that I need for probably less than, I already have a camera for less yeah. than like 1500 bucks. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so basically your, your point here is that you don't really need investors these days no. to really start something going. Exactly. I mean, sometimes you, you, you know, when you're looking for partners, you can be looking for different things. Like you may be looking for financing or you may be looking for like a sales or marketing arm, or you may be looking for a back office kind of infrastructure, like a human resources kind of thing to bring people to you. So I think what you, what you have to figure out first is what do you provide and yeah. what are you missing? So the partner you're looking for should, should you know, reflect you know what those needs are and then it's not necessarily capital yeah i was just going to ask you that like what is it, like when you're starting a studio from scratch and you have experience being a director or you both had experience being directors like who's handling the financing the producing mm -hmm. the marketing the sales mm -hmm. like did you have to it was it just two, you two guys at the start doing everything and animating too or did you quickly hire a team 
we right up front, um, well, we did a couple of jobs. Actually, we did a couple of really fun jobs for um, um, one of the first partners of, of Cup of Coffee, Adam, uh, not Adam, he was the other partner who stayed on and um, grew that business. But the first one, Bruce, who left, who started an animation company in Chicago, uh, which is an offshoot of backyard productions. So what he did is he went to Chicago and he found like, um, like a commercial production company who wanted to get into animation. So he used them as a partner. So oh, they had an infrastructure and they backed him. Oh, and, wow. and then Adam, um, sorry, uh, Bruce Chagrin yeah. hired us to shoot a couple of, of co-commercials where we went to Bombay and then we went to Tokyo and just shot tons of crazy stop motiony stuff there. And that was like a crazy whirlwind. So the, our first two jobs, we were like flying internationally and doing these Coke commercials out of Leo Burnett in Chicago. That was the agency. So that was a really fun way to get started. Yeah. Um, but when we got going, when we got going for real, the first person we hired was an executive producer and the role of this executive producer, there is a sales component, but it's, it's the main, the executive producer in, in that situation was the main connection between our company. It's the outward looking connection. So uh, she had all the contact with um, advertising agencies and um, other, other kind of service providers. And um, yeah, so we had someone who was in a senior position who was the main point of contact. And, who is talented dealing with people who you really don't want to deal with and stuff. Gotcha. So. so, so far we've, we've learned, you don't need a lot of investment <laughs> and figure out what you're good at and then partner with people that you have missing skills at. Yeah. I'm wondering, you said before, you know, you never ballooned like a cup of coffee. Was that your intention to kind of stay as a smaller company throughout these years? I think, I think in terms of, I don't think it was our intention to stay small. I think our intention was to try to do work that was good and fun to do and then we, and that we could get paid properly for. Hmm. So as some as soon as things started seeming too big, it was sort of like uh, it um, there's a point I think for like an artist of diminishing returns in terms of of uh, benefit as things get bigger and the big fear is turning into like a sausage factory so the dark the, the downside of doing say for example series work was that our focus went into volume and that was always a fear of ours because we like nice little crafted sort of individual things and we also just like doing different things like variety is really really yeah. important and that's what we were known for. So people would come to us with all different kinds of requests. And that's what was most engaging for us because it kind of uses the most of your brain as opposed to the logistical issues of doing tons of the same stuff. So when you want to get really big, you have to kind of create these kind of economies of scale. But it also um, it sort of reduces the kind of enjoyment on a per second basis of the stuff that you're producing. 
So that was kind of a little bit of a limitation or that, that made getting big less attractive, but we did big stuff. Like we did a couple of things. Like one of the things we did was we did a redesign for, it's called PBS kids go. And that was like, I think we had like, I want to say like 200 deliverables and we worked on for years, like, like a million dollar job kind of thing. So that for us was a big job, but if we were told, okay, you have to do another season of that and then another season of that, I'd be like, oh my God. Give it to someone else. Give this million dollars to someone else. (laughs) Um, But, um, but, uh, but we also did campaigns. Like I did a campaign for Pop-Tarts. I did 24 spots over like four years. So that's, that's like a big job, but it's just one little thing after another. Yeah. And each one you're really kind of focused on and you get to really engage in kind of thing. Um, how big, what's the biggest your studio has been people wise? I think at one point we were doing, I think I want to say like, you know, four jobs simultaneously. And I think they were like 30 people coming and going. And that was like, that was outside of my comfort zone for sure. Um, And the other thing that happened, and this is maybe one of the reasons um, that was sort of our peak in terms of size was that we went out of house for a director and he did not work out all that well. And I think we basically kind of took a flyer on this guy who was kind of a really charming guy and a really good talker. And he turned out to be a huge jerk. <laughs> oh, no. oh no. So I, I, so as a result, I think our comfort zone has been keeping it small and I don't want to say clubby, but it's, it's like we require really high comfort level in anyone who's going to have any kind of um, authority. So there have only been a few, other than Julian and myself, there have only been a few people who've directed anything out of headgear. And, and most of them, you know, had to work with us for at least five years before they got that chance kind of thing. Maybe that'll change when you hire me and I'm- There you go. <laughs> so, okay, well, it sounds like uh, creative freedom and, and like fulfillment in that is very important to you. And, and it also sounds like that is why you've taken on kind of uh, smaller projects and, and whatnot. Because, you know, I talk to a lot of people on this podcast and that's something that everybody's reaching for, you know, a happy medium where you feel creatively fulfilled but you're also doing good work and making a livelihood at it. So like you've been doing this for 24 years. What are your thoughts on that net today after yeah. doing this for 24 years? Well, it's, it's, it's always a source of tension, um, especially um, historically doing like commercial work, like TV commercials. It's not, they're not like, Hey, hey we got kind of a script, do whatever you want. Like go nuts, like knock yourself out. There is an aspect of that in the pitching process because what they want is they show you something. So you do have some parameters. Um, You have a product and you have, you know, usually some dialogue or um, 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 a few things that you kind of like have to hit or have to mention or have to feature visually, but then it's your opportunity to interpret it. So that, is the kind of fun creative part of it, but it is still within 
Like there are specific kind of guidelines you have to work with them. Um, and um, over the process of the production, there still will be points and it's usually at the first stage of approval when it's, you know, one third done, when they're ready to see something, but they're not ready to see what they're going to see because they really, they just want to see the final thing. <laughs> and at that stage, everyone is disappointed all the time. <laughs> so they get super psyched up about you. You do a pitch and you get the job and everyone's really happy. And then you put a rough thing together. It's like, what the hell are these guys doing? <laughs> and oh, then yeah. you're just digging your way out of there. And they're like, oh, I guess that's okay. And then it goes on TV and their kids see it and they go, Oh, mom, you were involved in that. And then they love it and you're a hero. That's usually Every the time, eh? that's the trajectory of uh, expectation, disappointment. And then, I, you know, uh, I, my business career, I've been on the other side of that, you know, where I'm working for the company and we we bring in the agency and they show us and we're like, what is this? So mm. I know what that's like from their yeah. perspective. And also, um, but OK, so today, do you feel creatively fulfilled with what you're doing? So I'm, I'm actually working on a thing now. Um, I've, we've migrated a bit. We, we still do commercial stuff uh, for sure. But um, more of the stuff that I've been doing has been TV stuff. Um, and I've been working for this great creative team. They're just so totally delightful. Um, the Robert and Michelle King. And they've been producing stuff for a million years and they did um, their big, their first big hit was uh, The Good Wife. So they're American, they work predominantly for CBS. Um, and uh, we did a thing, Isaac King, who worked with us for 17 years, who's a wonderful guy who should be on your podcast, by the way, um, did some animation when he was a headgear for a, a Doug Lyman film called American Made as a Tom Cruise movie. And it was sort of like a schoolhouse rocks, you know, schoolhouse rocks. Yeah, is. of course. Yeah. I don't know so if I like remember that, but yeah. <laughs> it's a, uh, it was basically like a little animated piece within this movie about um, like eighties gun runners out of central America. And they wanted to quickly explain the relationship between the United States and Russia or USSR during the cold war and, and, the movement of guns and stuff like that. And they thought it'd be good to kind of distill this um, uh, issue into a short animated animated piece. So we did it for the movie. And then um, a producer who works for the Kings saw it and showed it to the Kings and they liked it. And they decided to incorporate it into a series that they're working on called The Good Fight, which was a spinoff of The Good Wife. Right. So I didn't, I did a two minute thing. Um, it was about the subject and the, and it's like a legal drama, which is so funny to do animation for a legal drama. So um, the subject matter was explaining impeachment and they got a musician named Jonathan Colton to write a song with kind of funny lyrics to sort of explain it. And just on the subject of creative freedom, all they did, they just sent me the song. And they say, like, can you do something? And I said, sure. Yeah. And uh, I did storyboards and they said, great. And then I went and did the animation with um, um, uh, 
Ivan Nouveau who worked with us for a long time. And, uh, and it's, they're like, that's fantastic, thanks. And that was it. There were no revisions, no. They were like super appreciative and they're really nice. Like advertising agencies are famously diffident, difficult, like people who've got a million kind of issues beyond that they're kind of contending with, usually kind of internal and political, above and beyond the production that you're actually on that um, kind of can cast shadow on the production. Whereas these people were just like, hey, you seem to know what what you're doing, go for it. And then I did it and they were really happy. And the next year, there's a 10 episode year and I did one for each episode. And it was just really well received. And since then they've done other, they did a show called Evil and a show called uh, Second, Second Wave, the zombie show. And I did like little animated things for them, for those things as well. And they're just super delightful. And the whole thing is that, you know, we have kind of a simpatico. We don't talk at all. There's no conversation. Um, and I'm just sort of given a script or I'm given a song and they lead me to it. So in terms of the whole, my whole career, in terms of creative freedom, I'm enjoying more creative freedom now than I ever have before. But it may be that it took this whole, you know, 24 years to actually be in a position to be capable of doing it or to have someone trust us. If you you hadn't chosen the small, root path with you know uh tv commercials and doing because all your stuff is like very different in style it's mostly mm-hmm. stop motion and 2d then you wouldn't have gotten this opportunity in the first place mm-hmm. so it almost feels like you need to exude your creative freedom to get more creative freedom project project yeah it's a it's a really it's a really tricky thing because what industry generally wants to do is know what the job looks like before it's done yeah so what they do is if they do, if they want, you know, like cat having a birthday animation, they're like, cause that's the idea of their spot. They're like, do you have any stuff where you have like cats like celebrating their birthdays? And of course they go, do. yeah, we're the cat celebrating anniversary. <laughs> like birthday party. You know, cause that's what, that's what everyone wants. They want the thing to, to know what the thing is already. And the thing is for people who do the same thing over and over and over, there is a comfort on the side of the buyer that they know they can get this thing from them. So there is a tendency to come up with a style or come up with a technique that you know that you can, produce each time um, and that what that does is gives people who are potential clients high confidence in you and that's really what really what they want so there is pressure to be one thing um, and what we've done is kind of the opposite in that what we do is what we we sell ourselves on being able to do a whole bunch of things so when people are kind of unsure about what they want then they come to us hmm. And which is kind of exciting because we have a really big kind of, you know, um, we get to put our thumbprint on it. So it makes it more interesting for us. But those jobs, they're not a lot of those jobs because those jobs are harder for the agency to sell to their clients. So, 
you're dealing, we're dealing with a smaller pool of jobs in the first place. So that's the problem. So if like our main thing was like dancing Valvoline cans, we would have the whole automotive thing. Like we would have like, like years long contract with Ford and Chrysler and Valvoline or whatever, because we do dancing Valvoline cans better than anyone. And you have a business there, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's a typical, a typical track. So what, what has kept you, you know, you, you just kind of stated that you're a niche within a niche and, and how you got businesses being known for doing kind of the risky stuff that is hard to sell. How have you stayed in business for the last 24 years when you've seen other companies like namely cup of coffee, you know, come and have its golden day and then leave. And then other studios downtown Toronto too, aren't in existence anymore. Like what has kept you, what has kept your doors open? Um, money laundering. Okay, money great. Laundering. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we've got, we've uh, got to deal with the triads <laughs> and uh, we have um, <clears throat> what, so what we've always been is a uh, lean um, gotcha. and so you nimble. can scale what you mean is like you can scale down to like just you and Julian and maybe yes. other people and then That's scale right. up quickly. Yeah, exactly. So, so for animators like me, that means less job security. But for yes, owners like you, it means more job security. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that we're a, we there was a time. I mean, we we had people worked with us for years and years and years. So we, I'd, I would say for the longest stretch, we averaged about nine people. Hmm. And there were people in that stretch who worked with us for many years. So for example, Isaac worked with us for like 17 years. Ivan worked with us for about seven years. Um, there are producers who worked with us for about six, seven years, five years. So in the animation world, that's actually a really long time, but but it's always been a very small core. And then when we got big jobs, we would hire people for the duration of the job. And if we got another job after another job after another job, we would just keep people going. Um, and uh, when that, that job, if it was a campaign or something that campaign ended, they uh, would, you know, they were kind of itinerant animators or designers or After Effects people. They would kind of go somewhere else. But then one of the nice things was that people always liked working with us. So people always went to great lengths to make themselves available to oh, work nice. with us. But the tough thing was having, always having enough work for people. So that was a, that's always been the biggest stress. And also, cause a lot of people like have young families. So you're very conscious of like, you know, you're like feeding mouths kind of thing. And um, that was, I would say that that was the biggest stress, ongoing stress throughout. And that is when we had like, you know, kind of, you know, eight, nine people who came in rain or shine, just keeping the place busy enough. So, you know, everyone, everyone would be cool and engaged. So have you had extended dry spells? Oh yeah. We've had lots of dry spells for sure. Like, like how long, like a month, a year? Mm, um, let me think. We, we've had a couple times of like zero work, like no work, like for like three months at a time or two months at a time or one month, a few times. 
like when you go when you have a company and you go for like three months with no work it's like terrible well and you're you're still renting your space and you have all that overhead and you're just like well we did there we did a couple of smart things the first smart thing was buying out our partners the second smart thing was about 13 years ago we bought our building ah so um what we did what we did yeah so we rent out the middle floor and renting out the middle floor, it, even if things were terrible for headgear, that the, the rent that we got from the middle floor paid for the building. What are you even running a business for? Just, just rent it out. <laughs> uh, that may be the next step. <laughs> get, rid of, get rid of your passion, just become a landlord. Uh, okay so how are you getting business then because when you're in a dry spell are you like constantly contacting all the agencies in toronto (laughs) no are you bidding or do you have like a a, a, like i don't know tell me tell me so we have so for most of our time we had an executive producer we had an executive producer up until maybe about four years ago Um, so a lot of the role of the executive producer was, uh, making contact with agencies, um, and doing kind of demos and going to events and schmoozing and stuff like that. Uh, for a long time, we also had reps in the States. So we had reps in Chicago, rep in New York. We went through a few reps. That was a tough, tough thing. We did not get a lot of work through reps. Um, and now we have, um, a rep in Canada, um, uh, Hesty Liebtag is her name. She has a company and, and, um, so she's repping us here and we get, we get, uh, boards through her company and she's been really great for us and helpful. And Lisa Backey is, uh, and she's got a few people who uh, work with her who are, also really great. So that's, that's been a source, but, uh, people, I mean, when you're around a long time, people, you know, older people remember you and also people just kind of stumble upon you. Um, but, uh, that's been the toughest thing. And I would also say that's definitely our biggest weakness because, uh, Julian and I are not self promoters. Like doing this thing with you is the biggest thing I've done honestly in like 15 years to promote oh my myself <laughs> no if question you're listening and you you want to hire yeah. Steve, um, right get in touch with him <laughs> it's just not it's just never That's been our opinion. never really been kind of our style and it's and i would say if we were to do it all over again i think i would have had a very very different attitude about marketing yeah and um I think that probably the smartest thing to have done was to have a third partner who was um, a sales and marketing person. So a person whose livelihood depended on work coming in to, to, to the company. And there I mean, would be no time like the present, right? Like what's stopping you from getting that person? Now? Oh, too lazy. <laughs> too lazy. Okay. Too lazy. So, yeah. um, I didn't, uh, this was just something I popped in my head now. What percentage of your clients actually come from Canada or are international? Like are, you're servicing a broader market than just Canada, which I guess I didn't think about. 
really? Um, I'm trying to think. I would say over um, our lifetime, I would say I would say about probably about sixty forty U.S. to Canada. Okay. So most mo- more U.S. There have been years where Canada has been a really small portion. Actually, you know what? Canada has been actually a pretty consistent portion, and the United States has grown and shrunk and gotcha. grown and shrunk. Um, so uh, yeah, and we we've done stuff for where else have we done stuff? We've done stuff for Ireland. We've done stuff for some Latin America stuff, some like Mexico stuff, uh, some Russia stuff. So a little little bit a little bit of international work, which is interesting. Right. Um, another question I have is recently, you know, I feel like back in the day, your portfolio was almost hundred percent stop motion, but you've been diving into other forms of animation and I guess live action and whatnot too. What is the reason for that? Is that just to keep getting clients in the door or are you, uh, experimenting with different styles? Or um, well, I, I, we've ne- we've never been, we've always been like technique agnostic. Like we never. We're never, it's, it's really the, the idea of the spot that drives the style. Mm. Okay. So, um, uh, and the other thing is with time, what's happened is budgets have gone down. Like there's, there's only one direction. Since we've started, budgets have just steadily gone down, gone down, gone down. And um, stop motion like like full up stop motion with a set and armatures and lights and like you know dps and it's just really expensive and it's really slow um and unlike um cg where at any time in the process you can make changes with stop motion you you kind of can't like you Uh, deliver it and they're like i wanted the hat to be blue (laughs) like yeah bad yeah or you can you give them three eyes you know, mm-hmm. like, um, and the one thing that we've n- never really gotten heavily into is is 3D, like proper CG. Um, we have, we've had elements in our work that have been 3D where we've kind of hired out of people out of studio, um, which has been really nice, but we've never really committed to like, like CG, like developing like a CG, a proper CG capability. Um, so, What's happened was I think we've kind of migrated away from stop motion uh, because there's less demand for stop motion. People are less open to it when the 3D gives them more latitude. It's a harder sell in the commercial world where no one wants anything unknown. They want to be able to control everything to the very, very end. For so people, then, um, curious how even th- even though stop motion is a harder sell, say you uh, get a project and you're like, this is, this has to be stop motion. I have mm-hmm. to sell them on stop motion. How are you? What is the selling point then? If you know they want the control, CG, it looks really cool. It looks really cool. <laughs> this is going to look really cool. That's yeah that's the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. that's it. That's it. Yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. But if they're like, I don't care if it looks cool. Yeah. Then screw off. <laughs> Here. <laughs> <laughs> then we're then then we're not the people like there are all kinds of people out there who will make stuff that looks serviceable that'll charge less than us and you know we'll get the job done 
and you know there are tons of people out there who do it and make a living and they have fun doing it and, and that's that's kind of great gotcha. so what is that thing that you are you know you that we talked about creative fulfillment before but what is that thing that you're professionally or even like personally pursuing through your profession uh that you're pursuing wow okay what is that thing that keeps you going in this job specifically um there are a few things. Number one, the work, when I'm doing the work, it's just really fun. Like yeah. I just like, I'm just drawing and designing and talking to animators and coloring and, you know, hanging over animator shoulders and After Effects people. And what about this? What about this? This is funny. You know, like, it's just so fun. Like, I just love it. Um, the other thing is that I have enormous control over my time um, I don't have a boss. I've got a great like family life balance. Like I always at when we were in the early, early days when we we're a cup of coffee, when we would have been in our mid twenties, we just worked around the clock. We just yeah. bled for that work. Yeah. And one of the things we decided in starting our own company was that we're not going to do that. We're going to have like life balance. So, there was never anyone saying, no, you have to stay. <laughs> like, you have to redo that. And I'm sorry, you got to cancel your whatever. I mean, there definitely were times where we canceled our whatevers and we did stay, but it was always my, our decisions. And I wasn't suffering other people's bad judgment. So a really, really, really important personal thing about what I think was a great thing about doing what we did is just enormous control over my day to day. Yeah. Man, you're, you're, can I come work for you like tomorrow? Like, <laughs> Hey, sure. Why not? All right, done. So what, yeah. do you, what do you still want to accomplish? Like, cause it sounds, I mean, you're telling me amazing things. It sounds like you've reached a state that works for you and you enjoy what is, what is left other than just keeping on, keeping on until you die. Well, I think keeping on, keeping on is like pretty sweet if you can do it, you know, yeah. um, and that is absolutely not automatic. And the thing that we're with the thing that's uh, the constant battle is just getting more work. So right now we just had we just pitched on four jobs. You just told me a few minutes ago that you're too lazy to hire a, a marketing person. And now you just told me that the major challenge is to keep getting more work. Yes. Now, I, do those, I'm not sure if those are contradictory or one precludes the other. <laughs> so, the, the, I mean, the, the question is, well, why don't you just hire a marketing person? Yeah. And I don't know, marketing people give me the heebie-jeebies. I hate oh, to no. say it. <laughs> I'm a marketing, my past career was 100% marketing. And you know what? You're the exception. This You're is awesome. my interview here. You yeah. know, like. <laughs> um, so I think part of it is that I don't know if we've ever had sort of like a fit and I think fit is a really, yeah. you know, important. you know, important thing. And it's actually become a bit of a hot button word because I think fit is also used to exclude some people, which is which is something that you know we've always been really conscientious about not doing. But it's like uh, you know we're kind of you know roommates, and it's a very kind of controlled little environment. So. Um, you know, fit can be a tough one, yeah. um, but um, but yeah, no, it, it's it'd be it'd be great to continue doing what we're doing. It'd be nicer to have, like, again, you know, the scale to be 
a, like a little bit, you know, make it so we've got a little bit more elbow room. And I just started telling you that we actually pitched on like four things and they all came up, you know, they all went for one, for one reason or another, like I think two of the, two of them, the, the, the people who were competing against were chosen, which is like, you know, that's cool. Good for them. I'm, they totally deserved it, I'm sure. And one of them, they said, oh no, the job's not happening anymore. They've had a change of plans. And one of them, they like just didn't call us back. And it was like, so there's a lot of, you have to deal with a lot of indignities in the job. And for each of those jobs, we worked like for at least a week or a week and a half right. for free. Yeah. So we're, we're investing our time and emotion and energy into these things. And sometimes people just like, you know, you know, don't even have the courtesy to call back, which is kind of a, a horrible thing. And I, right. and it's not representative of all agency people, but it's not totally unheard of. So you have to, you have to gird yourself to that kind of stuff because after many years of that, it, it has a very corrosive effect in it. And it, it and, uh, and it's easy to become uh, cynical. So oh. that's a, that's a battle. That's a real battle. Well, I'm sorry to hear, but and it sounds it sounds discouraging. Like you see a project, you envision what it can be in like your own creative way, and you spend time, like you said, a whole week, you know, designing things, coming up with your best ideas, and then just nothing. Nick, yeah. Like, do you feel personally invested in these projects? And then, oh yeah. And then they just nothing, and then you're yeah. like, what do I? I need closure. Like, yes, what do I do. Yeah. And you've been doing this constantly every yeah. single month. Like what, yeah. how do you manage? <laughs> I would be so jaded. I'd be like, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty jaded. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> um, well, I have a long suffering wife. Um, she's been, she's always been a great sounding board and friends who I complain to, but you know, everyone's got their cross to bear, you know? Yeah. So, you know, a minute ago, I was talking about how awesome it is. I've got these awesome clients and I've got so much control over my life and I've got great family life balance, but you can't have everything. So the flip side is you do tons of work for free that ends up in the garbage can, you know, yeah. and that has a real, takes a toll, but whatever, man, like nothing's free. Like <laughs> you gotta pay to play. It's, yeah, it's, totally. it's, yeah. Gosh, but and then and then what happens is you just get another job and it's fun and it's cool and you you get paid properly and and you're up and going again. You have to be very resilient. Yeah, that's a thing. You have to be and you have to be willing to deal with rejection. Oh yeah, that's t I feel like that's a skill almost. Like I'm not oh, I'm not good with it because like when I pitch something. I put my heart and soul into it because I'm like, yeah. if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do this, I want to do it well, and to do it yeah. well, I have to do all this prep work, and then if it doesn't take off, it's like, yeah, gosh, right. So well, everything um, everything that you're bidding on when you're bidding competitively, which is most of the time, everything you're bidding on, if you don't put everything into it, because you know the other people are in the exact same position, they're everyone's gonna put everything into it, so you have to be totally invested in it or else you're definitely not going to get it. Right. You're just you know? half-assing it. You never, you, you're out of business. Totally. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Would not be having this conversation. Gosh. So no half-assing, only full-assing. 
So I feel I feel like we've learned a couple of things in this uh, this this podcast. Do you have any Do you have anything on top of that you would add? I know I was going to ask you a question about uh, you know if you were to start things over again, but I feel like you've already answered that with the marketing the marketing person. But like if you were to list out, you know, Terry here is going to go off and start a studio next month tomorrow. Give me the give me the secret sauce of what I need. You said resilience. <laughs> No, I don't need this whole podcast is a ruse. (laughs) This whole thing is just a very elaborate way for you to plumb like corporate secrets or whatever. That's literally Uh, trade secrets. Yeah. So here's here's what here's what I would say. Number one, yeah, get into the stuff that you love doing most. Like if you love doing it, you'll get good at it, and hopefully there'll be some there'll be some moment where, where opportunity will meet your, your uh, preparation yeah. You know, yeah. and your core competence. And then what, when that happens, it's like you're off to the races. And what I would do is I would, um, unlike us, I would work very hard to promote yourself. And, and now like social media is totally you know, the tool to do that. And that's something that we like dabbled in a little bit in a totally kind of, you know, tepid manner. But if you can get stuff going like, you know, Instagram, TikTok, like whatever you want, like if you have the energy to do funny, weird little things and put them up every day. And if you have the ability to, you know, use like search engine optimization to max it all out, then you'll you'll do great nice so get into the stuff you love promote yourself social media is one thing resilience i guess what you said before and uh possibly the right people in your in your partnership mix yeah anything else and boom you're done done you're an, you're an animation magnate wow it's so easy just four <laughs> simple steps my God. Um, well, is there, I guess, as we're kind of wrapping up, I feel like we've chatted about a lot, you know, how you got into this business and made it through and, and where you're at now. Is there anything else you wanted to share or like lend? Um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a funny business. I think if you can make your way in this, I think if you can make your way in this business and you can make a living, it's, it's what a pleasure. Like, I mean, humans have been like, hunter gatherers digging like roots in the soil for like a bajillion years. And we're doing like doodles and squishing plasticine around and, you know, getting paid for it. So it's pretty yeah, awesome. What the, like what the heck we were hunter gatherers. We waited a hundred thousand years and now we're, we're, we're coloring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. totally. I love so, that sentiment. Yeah. Was well, so there anything else you wanted to wrap up on? <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. It was really nice talking to you, and yeah. um, I'm happy to keep chatting. Let's do um, it. And when and, uh, this pandemic's over, I'll come by again and do a do a little tour. Yeah, totally. Um, that would be really fun, and I'm glad to hear that things are going well with you. And um, and it'd be wonderful to stay in touch. And it was fun chatting. Nice. Thank you so much, Steve. Thanks for coming on the podcast. 
My pleasure. Sweet. And if you're listening and you want to check out Steve's work or get in touch with him or the wonderful people at Headgear, you can head on over to their website, which is headgearanimation.com or check them out on their tepidly run Instagram page, which is head underscore gear underscore animation. I'll include both those links in the description of this chat. And thank you so much for listening. That's all for now. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.